Well, I don't know if you've had this type of experience. I imagine you have. Uh, where you kind of have this uh, mountaintop type experience, and then it's kind of very quickly filled by the valley. Now, this happens in all sorts of areas of our life. I can remember uh, playing sports as a kid. You know, I love basketball, and so our basketball team, maybe we had the greatest game of the season. We shot well, we played great defense, and then the next game, it's like we could, couldn't even play, never dribbled a basketball. Maybe you're thinking for your kids, you know, you had that wonderful play date, uh, you went to the trampoline park or whatever, just this wonderful experience. This is why you're a parent. This is what it's all about. You get home and two hours later, just the, the whole house burns down, right? It's just a, just a mess. Uh, I heard a story uh, recently from a young guy that uh, I'm getting to know, and uh, he came to faith uh, in college, and uh, he's really beginning to grow in his faith, but he's uh, kind of the realities of living it out among those that aren't believers is, is really starting to surface. And so he had very much this mountaintop type experience. He's growing in his faith. He's loving the Lord. But then there's the reality of some, some real difficult times uh, that he's facing. And so I think we've all been there. Maybe for you, it was your baptism. You know, you were baptized. It was this wonderful experience. And then pretty quick after that, temptation really got pretty intense. And you're kind of asking, is this what it's like to be a believer? Is this normal? And I would say, yes, it is normal. What we find with Jesus and what we looked at last week is that in Matthew chapter 3, he, he is baptized. He very much has this mountaintop type experience. He hears from his father, this is my son, you are my son with whom I am well pleased. But then when we get to Matthew chapter 4, he is immediately driven into this wilderness. What's interesting, when you go to the gospel of Mark, it's more forceful language. It says that Jesus is driven into the wilderness for this time of testing. And so Jesus, very much like our experience, has this wonderful experience then followed by this time of intense testing and temptation. So if you haven't turned there already, I would encourage you uh, to turn to Matthew chapter 4 as we look at the temptation that Jesus faces. He finds and he has to deal with this assault from Satan. And the temptation of Jesus is this fascinating event, and there's really so many different avenues that we could go, uh, both theologically and practically. And while these aren't mutually exclusive of one another, uh, to, to, to grow in our theology helps practically in our faith. Uh, so I don't want to have too sharp of, of a division there. Uh, this morning, I do want to lean more toward the practical implications that we can draw from this passage, because like Jesus, you will face temptation in your life. That as a follower of Jesus, temptation will be present. I can remember this story of uh, a pastor sharing with a group of us kind of younger-ish guys, and he was saying this man in his 70s was still struggling with the temptation of lust. Now, I'm in my 20s going, are you kidding me? I have to continue to deal with this all the way until that. I'm 40 right now. Can it end at 40? That'd be a good cutoff. And so the point, it may be lusting. It may be a, a host of other things is you will face temptation. And so I don't care if you're a teenager or you're in your 80s, it will always be present. And so with that reality, we come to this passage and we need to learn how Christ dealt with it, how we can learn from him. And so what I want to do is I want to work our way through Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. And then as we kind of end our time, I want to give you four uh, takeaways that I really hope you grab onto. 
so that when you face temptation, maybe later today and in the coming weeks, that you can go back to this and not be frustrated or maybe confused or really kind of down on yourself as you face temptation. So let's begin at verse 1 and 2. We're going to read these first two verses and then pause and kind of get the the setting a little bit of what is taking place here. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. All right, so let's pause here. I think when we talk about temptation, and especially reading kind of this almost shocking statement that Jesus was led, or again in the Gospel of Matthew, driven into the wilderness, it raises some questions. And the question I've been kind of wrestling with, and maybe you have as well when you just first hear this, is does God tempt us? Does God tempt us? Now, when we see this word tempted in verse 1, most of our translations uh, translate it tempted. Others' translations will will use the word tested. And the reason that either tempted or tested are used is because this Greek word, uh, which was the original language of the New Testament, is this word parozo. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but you can look at the screen and see how it is spelled. And this word can mean both tempted or tested. It can also be used kind of the root word for trial. Now, a helpful distinction is found in the New Testament book of James. And so you can turn there if you want, but it'll also be on the screen. What we find in uh, the New Testament letter of James in chapter 1, verse 13 is this. Understand the context. James is writing to believers. They're facing some really difficult situations. They're kind of questioning their faith, and they're, they're going through these, these really intense trials. And so they were asking, does God tempt us? And, and James responds with this. He says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. And then staying in the same chapter 1 of James, if we go up earlier to what James says in verse 3, he he makes this comment. Again, he's writing to believers who are facing a really intense time of trials. And he says, know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. And so what James is saying And what we need to understand with this context of Matthew chapter 4 is that when the Spirit is leading Jesus out into the wilderness is this, and and you need to understand this, because if you don't get it, you're going to be confused, you're going to be frustrated, you're going to be questioning God. But what we need to understand is that God never tempts anyone to do evil. God never entices us to sin. And to be clear, it is not a sin to be tempted Jesus was without sin, but he was tempted. When we are tempted and become sinful is when we give in to that temptation. We're enticed and and we give in, and so we violate God's will. Uh, We do that thing that we shouldn't do or or the thing that we're supposed to do, we don't do. And so this is what is taking place here in Matthew chapter 4. Now, you may also be asking, you know, where do these temptations arise? What What is the source? And there's three that the Bible mentions. And it kind of uses this language of the flesh, the world, and the devil. And so the flesh, this is us. This is our own sinful desires. They, they rise up and we're tempted by, by our desires. The world, this is so difficult, isn't it? To live out our Christian faith, but we're tempted by so many things that seem so appealing to us. 
but there's also the pressure to give in. I mean, it's hard to be a believer. It's hard to follow Christ. And so those temptations that the world offers to us, they just, they got it, you know, our flesh desires that. And so we want to give in to it. And then also the devil, and we'll look at him here in a sec, but the devil, this evil spiritual being, he and, and the other fallen angels, you may struggle with that. But I think when you, when you see so much darkness in the world, I think one of the answers, at least to me, is clear that there has to be something influencing all this evil that we see. And what the Bible uh, says is that, yes, it is this fallen angel, Satan. And so what we need to understand is that God never tempts us, but he will use circumstances in our life to test us. Okay, make that distinction. God will test you as a believer, not because he's upset with you, because he loves you, actually. He wants you to become more like his son, Jesus Christ. And so we get this. I mean, we, we have to do hard things at work or training exercises, you know, working out. And those difficult things is what makes us, you know, stronger and, and all that. And this is the same way in our faith, that God tests us because he wants us to grow more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. But he will never tempt you. He will never entice you to sin. Now, who is this character, the devil or Satan, also called the tempter? Uh, well, he's a spiritual being. He's a, a fallen angel. And he is an enemy of God and, and really all of humanity. The Bible calls him the accuser. That's actually what the devil means, the, the accuser. And he accuses me and he accuses you when we sin. And he goes to God and says, this one's not really your child. The way they act, what they think, no. And so he accuses us. The Bible also calls him a liar and a murderer. And so Satan, he is very powerful, the prince of this world. But the distinction that we need to understand that he is not an equal to God. Some religions call him maybe a spiritual brother of Jesus. That is not the case at all. He is this created being, very powerful, opposed to God, but yet a created being. And remember that God is more powerful than he is. And then thirdly, just a quick comment about this long period of fasting. One of the questions I've had, even since I was a kid when it comes to this, is you know, can a human being really go this long uh, without eating? And so I think one of the things that we can deal with as believers is we, we elevate Christ's deity, which we obviously should, but we kind of lower his humanity. And so we, we see Christ's humanity in this passage. He is fasting. He is not eating for this long period of time, and he is weak. He is hungry. Now, what takes place with fasting is this, and uh, this is not from personal experience, all right? Maybe some of you have done this longer than I uh, but you go a, a certain number of days at kind of this long period of time, and, and those intense hunger pains that you feel, they eventually disappear. And so there's a, there's a point where it actually disappears, your stomach kind of shrinks, all this stuff, and you're not hungry. But then around the 40-day mark, this is really the, the max period that your body can take, you begin uh, to get hungry again. And what this is an indication of is that you are starving to death. Again, your body is about to, to max out. You're at the point of death. And it's when Jesus is in this weak state, physically and emotionally and psychologically, this is when the tempter comes to Jesus and he presents three temptations to him. And so let's look at the first one, verse three. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. 
Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, what we'll find in all three of these temptations is that the devil is questioning the identity of Jesus. Now, what took place at Jesus' baptism? What were the the, the last words that Jesus heard? This is my son. You are my son in whom I am well pleased. And I imagine when Jesus went to this wilderness, this very desolate place, just this awful place, that he kept reminding himself of those words over and over and over again. It helped get him through this hard situation. But here comes the tempter, questioning the identity of Jesus. And he says, if you really are God's son, what are, you, what are you doing out here in this wilderness, this barren, isolated place, just wild animals and rocks? There's, there's nobody out here. You shouldn't be out here. And you're starving, right? So why don't you take some of these rocks and turn them into bread to eat? Now, here's the question, though. What would be wrong for Jesus to turn the stones into bread? I mean, later in the gospel of Matthew, he's going to create bread for people to eat. So he does this miracle. The very first miracle of Jesus is found in the gospel of John, where he turns the water into wine. So kind of related to food. So, so what's wrong with him uh, turning these rocks into bread? The reason that in this particular circumstance, it would have been sinful for Jesus to turn the rocks into bread is that it was God's will for Jesus to go through this time of testing in preparation for his public ministry. Before Jesus was to heal and to teach and then ultimately go to the cross, he had to go through this time of preparation where he was being tested. It was kind of his boot camp, if you will, that he was getting ready for this intense three-year public ministry. But he was also securing our righteousness that he went through this test so that when he went to the cross, he could be that lamb without blemish, that lamb with no sin, so that he could die for us. And so God's will for Christ at this moment was not to eat quite yet, but to go through this testing, to go through this temptation of will he pass the test so he could go to the cross and die for us. And so Jesus responds and says that, that man lives by more than just eating bread but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, meaning that being obedient to what God commands and calls us to in his revealed word, the Bible, is what takes priority. Now, for you and I, we we don't have the temptation of turning rocks into bread. We obviously can't do that. But the principle is this, that we can take God's good gifts that he provides us and we can misuse them that we can put our own desires and wants above what God commands of us. So let's consider some of the good gifts that God gives us. And I want you to think of of some in your own life. You know, this may be a career or family or sex or money. And so we take that good gift of sex and God says, use it within these boundaries. Uh, In marriage, a husband and a wife, this is how this good gift should be used. But what do we do? We go outside of marriage. We don't get married. Or we look at things on websites and all the rest that we shouldn't. So we, we take that good gift and we misuse it. We think of money. We need money to support ourselves and to provide for our families. But the temptation there is we just kind of hold on to it, just spend it on what we want instead of helping others. Relationships, relationships are so important. 
We're seeing just this, this uh, pandemic, really, of just isolation in our country. And so we need to be in deep relationship with each other. That is vital. But if we're not careful, we can take that good gift and misuse it. We can become self-centered. We can take advantage of others. And so the list could go on and on that we take these good gifts and we misuse them. And this is the temptation that, that Christ was up against. And this is the temptation that we have to face almost on a daily basis. So that's the first temptation. Now we, we move to the second temptation that Jesus dealt with. Uh, look at verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, when it comes to this temptation. This is, I think, one of the more confusing ones, because what would be so enticing for Jesus to go to this temple area about 500 feet off the ground and, and jump off of it and have angels rescue him? I mean, I guess that'd be kind of cool, but I mean, why would this be a temptation of Jesus? And I think it may be this. Jesus is about to go into this three-year ministry, and it's going to be hard, and it's going to be intense, there's going to be high points. There's going to be low points. He's going to be betrayed. He's going to be grumbled against. He's going to have people that love him and follow him. And then he says a few comments that they don't like, and they take off. And at the cross, Jesus was all alone. Imagine that. Every one of his friends took off. And so Jesus is going to face this intense three-year ministry. And I'm wondering if maybe Jesus, he heard those words from his father. You are my son. I love you. Was he thinking those are just words? I want to see something. I want to experience some proof in my life. And the temptation is to put God to the test and see if he will reveal himself in some new ways and prove himself. And we do this with each other, right? I mean, think of our spouse, right? Here's the little test. You're getting married. You're so excited. You got little notes and flowers and all this stuff. You know, show you love me. It's wonderful. I'm at that stage now with basically three teenagers. The test for me is, hey, did you clean the crock pot? Right? You know, it's, uh, it's, it's been sitting there for two days. So that's, that's my test right now. But we do this with our kids, right? We do something good for them. Hey, are they going to acknowledge you? Are they going to say something? But we also do this with God. We put these little tests. We, we, yes, we hear his word. We read his word. But we want some proof in our own life. And I think some ways that this can reveal itself is, is with our health or, or the health of our loved ones. This is a hard one. This is what I've talked to people before. It's so difficult that, that maybe they're dealing with some, some issues such as cancer or whatever it may be. Or, or maybe, you know, somebody that they love. And the question arises, I mean, how could they allow this to happen? I, I thought God loved me. And, and it's such a, a real temptation. I mean, you may have that right now, and I feel your pain. But we put that test up. It could be the comfort that we want in life. That as believers, we should just be provided for. We, we're to have this comfortable life. But we're not promised that. In fact, it's the opposite. As believers... Our life following Jesus says it will be marked by suffering. 
that we will face difficulty. Now, God will be with us in that, but we still have to go through it. We still have to experience it. And so we test God in those ways, but I think we can also presume upon God's grace that we sin and we kind of keep doing these sins over and over again. And we just say, you know what? God's going to forgive me. He has to forgive me. And so we presume upon that. But even, and I don't even know if this is sinful exactly, we just make some bad life decisions. We just, we just make bad decisions. We say, you know what? God's going to get me out of this. You know, I put some money here. Or I, I took this job and I know I shouldn't have, but he'll provide, he'll take care of me. And so again, we, we presume upon God's grace in our life. And this temptation can be so deceptive and so subtle that we put all these tests before God. And if he doesn't answer them and show himself in the way that we want, we think he has failed us. So we move on now to temptation two, the devil's 0 for 2, but he's not done quite yet. Look with me at verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And so the devil, as the Bible describes him, is the prince of this world, this, this influencer of the world. And, and he does rule in that limited way now. And the thing about Christ and what we need to understand with this temptation is how immediate it was. Because Christ today does reign. He is the the Lord of lords and the King of kings. But before he would be placed on his throne, he had to go through this ministry of suffering. So what is taking place is that Satan is trying to tempt him. Hey, avoid all of that. You can rule right now if you'll just worship me. So what the devil is tempting Jesus to do really is to to take the easy path and not the hard path, to to not take the path that God has given him. He, he He would go against God's will for his life. And we face this temptation on a daily basis. As believers, we are called to take up our cross and follow Jesus. Now, what does that mean? I think sometimes we think, okay, that's, I mean, I got to be persecuted for my faith and, and maybe die. And, you know, maybe one day that will take place here in our country. I hope not. I pray not. But I think for us, more of taking our cross is, is putting to death our desires, our sinful desires that are contrary to God's word and, and pursuing his will for our life. It means putting to death the, the sin in our life and, and just being done with it and, and quit playing around with it. It means denying our our self-centeredness and putting others first. And sometimes, you know, when we do that, it's actually a disadvantage to us, but yet that is what we are called to. That we're to stand firm on the convictions that we have in God. And this may play out at school, this may play out at work, that the, the ethics that God has called us to, will we walk in that? Because it's so easy just to, to go the, the easy path. To just not hold firm in that. And so as followers of Jesus, we will be faced with this temptation. Do I take this easy path that so often will lead to destruction? Or do I take the hard path, the narrow path that leads to life? That is what is presented to us almost daily. And so Jesus, he faces the tempter. He he goes through these three temptations. He resists the assault of Satan. 
He's victorious. And then we read this beautiful line in verse 11. The devil left him. He's going to come back and test him again, but he leaves him for now. And the angels came and attended to Jesus. He's been victorious. He's passed the test. He is now ready for his public ministry. Now, in our remaining time, I want to uh, give you four takeaways that, again, I really want you to hold on to uh, as you face temptation in your own life. And so the first takeaway is this. Realize that your life as a believer involves temptation. Now, we touched on this earlier, but I just want to reiterate this. It is a normal part of your walk with Jesus that you will face temptation. So if you don't understand that, you're going to be confused. You're going to get frustrated. You're going to get upset with God. But this is a normal part of the Christian experience. And some of these are going to be bigger temptations. Some are going to be small, but they will be there. Let me also add, pay attention to the temptations in your life that seem to trip you up. So in my life right now, I have about three to five temptations, and I imagine you're similar, that can trip me up and often do trip me up. And so I know those, and I need to to pay attention. And sometimes I don't pay attention in the way that I should. And so I, I would encourage you right now, what are those for you? What are those sins when you go to God and confess it to him? You you notice I just say this over and over again. So it could be bitterness. It may be worry. It could be alcohol. It could be something uh, sexually related. It could be lying. I mean, the list can go on and on. Because each of us has a unique personality. We have certain traits. And so again, identify what those temptations may be for you. Let me also add this. You may have some things in your family that you need to identify, that there's some things maybe your parents or your grandparents struggle with. And I would encourage you, talk to them about that. You know, what tripped them up? What caused them to to fall into the temptations to help you in your, uh, you know, when you're also dealing with that? The number two, recognize, okay, recognize the threat of temptation, especially in moments of weakness, so Jesus, he, he was weak physically and emotionally and psychologically. And this is when the tempter came to him and presented these temptations. And he does the same to us. I think sometimes as uh, Christians, we kind of just think about the spiritual, but we don't think about the physical and kind of the emotional. That's all of us, right? That's the, the whole of who we are. We are physical beings, emotional and spiritual beings. And so we need to factor that in. And so we get hungry. What do we do? We lash out at others. In my family, we call this being hangry, right? Maybe yours does the same. You know, somebody's kind of getting snappy and you say, hey, when's the last time you ate? And it's very practical, but that can lead us into temptation. We get tired, right? We, we don't sleep. Uh, this is a guy I was uh, uh, kind of visiting with, and, and he, was, he thought he was going through kind of this really deep, dark time of depression. And what happened is he just wasn't getting any sleep. He's like, I I realized, you know, I thought it was all these issues. I just realized I was getting a few hours of sleep a night. And so once he changed that, it drastically changed his his outlook on life. And then emotionally, I just want to get uh, real here for for a moment. In our relationships with our spouse, maybe teenager with your your parents, some things happen, there's some frustrations, you get upset. And so what do we do? We act out against them. So maybe your spouse, they're, they're not kind of measuring up in some way. They said some things. So you go to that website because you're upset with them. 
teenager, your parents are, are kind of being harsh, or at least you think they're being harsh. And so you, so you act out and you do things that you know will make them upset that you know you shouldn't do. And the reason you do that, because in your moment of weakness, because you're frustrated and upset, that is when you act in that way. And so again, just very practically, kind of take heed of your mind and your body and your emotions and be aware of that. Understand those moments of weakness when you're tired, when you're exhausted, because again, this is when the tempter will come to you and try to get you to stumble and fail. Number three, uh, raise your intake of the Bible to fight temptation. Now, you may think that's just the Sunday school answer, the, you know, the church answer. But if you notice, in all three temptations that Jesus faced, he responded with saying, it is written. Kind of to put this in our language and say, the Bible says. Again, every time he faced a temptation, he pointed to God's word. And I've been so encouraged by this, uh, sometimes surprised by this that you know, I'll face this temptation and, and these passages or this verse will kind of rise up that the Holy Spirit is using uh, in my life. So let me give you an example. I am on my phone way too much. Maybe you can relate to this. And there are so many temptations on our phone. And one of the ones that I'm kind of dealing with right now is I get on there and I just scroll and I like to, to look at the world events and affairs and all this stuff. And, and I'm not saying we shouldn't do any of that. But I was just on it way too long. And what I began to notice is just how angry and bitter and upset I was getting. You know, we're called to love our enemies, those that, that we may not like. I wasn't doing that. And what was so crazy is, these are people I'm never going to meet. And I'm just holding my phone, scrolling and getting so mad. The temptation was there and I was just giving into it. And the passage that came to mind was one found in Matthew chapter 5. And it says, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. And I'm thinking, I'm holding my phone. So I got the knife out, right? I'm going to chop my hand off. No. I'm like, you know, I got to put this thing down. There's another passage that has come to mind where Joseph, this man, Joseph, he's presented, you know, this, this very tempting situation comes up and he actually takes off running. It's a beautiful picture of when we face the temptation, sometimes quit messing around with it. Just get out. Shut down the phone, the computer, get out of the room, whatever it is, run away. And so these verses, these passages, the Holy Spirit will use in your life, but you have to be in God's word for him to use it. And then lastly, rest in Jesus, the one who is victorious over temptation. The reality is this, we will face temptation and we will have success, but not all the time that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, that we will have some victories in those battles, but so often we fail, we stumble, we fall. And in those moments, this is when the accuser comes and he says, you're not a child of God. You keep messing up, you keep sinning. There's no way you're actually a believer. He accuses us. And it's in this moment that we need to rest in Jesus. You know, last week we looked at the baptism of Jesus where you know, God the Father says to his son, this is my son, you are my son with whom I am well pleased. And how this applies to us. And it's in these situations when we feel so low and beat up because we keep sinning that we need to remind ourselves that we are his son, that we are his daughter, that we are in him. And so we rest in that. And so keep fighting the temptation. 
Keep resisting. Keep going against the enemy of my soul and yours. But remember, rest in Jesus. He was perfectly obedient. He passed this test and he went to the cross. He secured our righteousness. So again, like we looked at last week, that when God the Father looks at you, he doesn't see your disappointment. He doesn't see your mistake. He doesn't see your sin. But you've been covered. You've been clothed by the righteousness of Jesus. And so when he looks at you, he still says, even in those moments of despair, when you're so upset with yourself, he says, you are still my son. You are still my daughter. And so rest in that. Would you please bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment. I want to take a moment for you to uh, be able to respond. And you may need to do that up front. Uh, You may need to do that just in your chair, and that's fine. But what are some of the temptations that you are facing? Kind of make that list in your head. Maybe make it on your phone so that you're aware of what you are dealing with. Understand that the battle is real. But it also may be that you come in here kind of beaten up, that you've given in once again to some of these temptations and sin. Confess that to God. He will cleanse you. He will remove it. It is gone. And rest in Jesus Christ. Rest in him. And so if you are low this morning, look up to Christ. Look to his grace. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this passage. Lord, we thank you for how relevant it is. Lord, that we can learn and grow of how to face temptation in our own life. But Lord, we also thank you that you have secured the ultimate victory, that you passed this test. You passed the test of the cross. You are victorious today. Lord, help us to rest in that. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. We ask in your name.